Well, where are, my, where are my singers at? Let me see a show of hands. You like to sing. You don't care how your voice sounds. Like you like to sing. Okay. All right. Half of you seems like you like to sing. The other half of you don't like to sing. I like to sing. Uh, I don't have a good voice. I know it. Uh, but I sing and, and I sing loud and I, I, I love singing. I, I love singing Christmas music. I've got a daughter in my house that loves to sing. She gets in the shower and she starts belting it out. I can hear it from the other side of the house and we just all die laughing because she just loves to sing. Let me see you point though to the person in your family. All right, just call them out. All right, we're going to publicly shame them. Okay. The person who sings, even though they don't know the lyrics to the song, just point at them right now. Who is the person Just shame them right now, just in public. They don't know the words. They like to act like they know the words to the song. They just mumble right through them. Right. Okay. Okay. Enough public humiliation. All right. All right. So this past year, Brandon, one of our worship pastors was, was leading a song and at, uh, in church and, uh, he started this song and he started singing it. And then he said, I don't know what happened in my brain. Cause he's got a monitor right here. This is a confidence monitor right here with the words to the songs on it. So they can, so they can, they can, they can see the song. He said, I, I, I don't know what happened, but from my brain to my voice, I could not translate and say the words that were on the screen. And so you may not have heard him and you probably, you may not even remember it. Um, but we heard him and we saw him and we heard him and the band heard him in their in-ear monitors going, blah, 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 you know, and, uh, most people knew nothing about it, but I saw the band laughing and I'm looking at Spencer, our drummer, and he's laughing and I'm laughing and the band's laughing and Mark's like, you know, looking at Brandon, like, what are you doing? What are you saying? You're mumbling right now. And he had the words right in front of him last night. My family and I were driving through Ransom Canyon. We're looking at Christmas lights. We're listening to Christmas music and it's the most wonderful time of the year song comes on. Right. And, and, and we're singing it and I'm singing it, you know, and, and my wife's singing it really loud. Like she is, she's going to town on, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And it gets to the part where it goes, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the most wonderful time, right? I mean, she mumbled through it and I got out my phone and I was making this note and she's like, what are you doing? She's looking over, you know, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just making a note for tomorrow night. Uh, got going to use that right there. I throw myself under the bus about every week, but tomorrow night you're getting thrown under the bus for singing and mumbling the words to a song and singing them and saying something anyways, even though you didn't know the words. But let me ask you this. Why, why do we sing? Some of you are like, I already told you I don't like singing, but I, I get it. But, but why do we sing? Why do we sing in church? Why do we sing songs? Why, why when a song that we love comes on the radio or if you listen, ever listen to the radio anymore, you're on your phone, you know, whatever you're listening to. Well, why does when that song come on, what, why do you want to sing along with it? Oftentimes I think we sing because we're happy. We're in a good mood. We like the song. We like the words of the song. We like the beat, whatever it, the reason might be. Oftentimes we are singing because we're happy. And there are many songs in the Bible. Moses breaks into song after God rescues them from the hand of the Egyptians and delivers them on the other side of the Red Sea and and then wipes out the Egyptian army who's coming after them. And Moses breaks into song. Hannah breaks into song after she's been barren and unable to have kids and and God hears her prayer and gives her a child and, and she breaks out into song. You read the Psalms, it's all songs. That's that's Psalms. These are all 
scriptures that have been put into the Bible that were songs. They were songs that were sang, many of them by David. But David doesn't just write songs when he's happy. David actually writes a lot of songs about his pain, about the pain he's going through and the struggle that he has, but his faith and, and trust in, in God, like in, in spite of his pain, he writes a lot and sings a lot, writes a lot of songs about his pain. Let me ask you this. Why would you want to sing at the end of 2020? I mean, I think a lot of us would say, I, I don't really feel like singing. 2020 has been rough. It's been a difficult year. Maybe you've experienced loss, whether that's an income or someone you love. 2020 has been rough in a lot of different ways. And you might say, I, I don't want to sing. I, I, I don't feel like singing as we close out 2020 because it's been a rough year. And I'm sure you could understand even if that's not you, even if you haven't experienced the pain personally of 2020, you know people who have probably. You know people who've experienced great pain. You could understand why people in our country and around the world may not want to sing at the end of 2020 because of the pain they've experienced. Well, I wanna show you two other songs in the scripture, the two songs of Christmas. So if you got your Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter one, the two songs of Christmas. And I believe these songs will show us why and how we could sing at the end of a year like 2020. What, what, what would we have to sing about? What do we possibly have to sing about at the end of a year like this? Well, I believe in these two songs, the two songs of Christmas, we're given the reason, the why, and the how, and the challenge to sing at the end of a year like 2020. So Luke chapter one, we're going to start in verse 46. This is Mary's song after learning that she is going to be pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And she's going to give birth to a son whose name is Jesus. And he is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. This is the son of God, the Messiah, the anointed one that was prophesied that would come all throughout the Old Testament and specifically in the prophets, we hear about this Messiah, this anointed one, the son of man, the son of God that would come and would rescue Israel. And so she learns that she is going to have the son of God. The Messiah is going to be born and she breaks out into song here in verse 46. In these verses, this song of Mary is called the Magnificent. It comes from the first few words in this song where Mary magnifies the Lord. So let's go. You can follow along in our app, the City Church Lubbock. If you don't have that, you can download that uh, in your app store and then click message notes and follow along. The verses and the points will all be there as well. Luke chapter one, starting in verse 46, Mary responded and said, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He's done great things for me, Mary says. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. 
He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. In this song of Mary, I believe Mary gives us at least three reasons and three whys of how we could sing at the end of 2020. Why we can sing at the end of 2020. Why we could go into 21 singing, worshiping, and praising our God just like Mary did. And if you are going to sing, if you're ever going to sing again, if you have been in pain and you have not yet been able to sing then you must understand, you must grasp, you must get these things in Mary's song if you're ever going to sing again. Number one, Mary's song shows us that we've got to praise in spite of the pain. We praise in spite of the pain. Mary says, you have shown mercy and grace and you have seen this lowly servant girl. She's talking about her individual struggle that she is both poor and not from this famous or well-known family. She is lowly as far as her position, her power, and her financial income. She's saying she's lowly. She says, you have filled the hungry. She's talking about herself. And then she's also talking about the corporate struggle of her people, Israel, that they have been lowly. They have been servants. They have been hungry. She's talking about both her individual and her corporate struggle for her people and for the nation of Israel. You see, Mary praises in spite of her pain. And from Mary's deep pain comes deep praise. This praise is internal. She says, my soul praises the Lord. My spirit rejoices. This is a deep praise that is coming from within her soul, from within her spirit. This isn't some rote, mechanical, going through the motions kind of thing. No, this is a deep, internal, and intense praising of God. She's crying out to God from her soul and from her spirit. She's praising God. It's intense. It's continual. In the original languages, we learn that what Mary is saying here when she says, my soul praises, my spirit rejoices, that this is an ongoing, continual praising of God. She's talking about this lifestyle of praise and worship and rejoicing in God, her Savior. This isn't a one-time thing. This is a continual lifestyle of worship and praise and singing to her God, Mary praises in spite of her pain. Secondly, the second thing we've got to understand if we're ever going to sing again is we've got to understand like Mary did that the pain doesn't void the promise. Your pain never voids the promise of God. Israel has been in exile. They've been taken into exile by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, and then uh, the, the Persians conquer the Babylonians, and then Greece conquers Persia, and then Rome comes along. And all of this time, the nation of Israel and, and Mary and her people and her family have been in exile. They've been captives in other countries. They've been persecuted. Their temple has been destroyed. There's been much pain in Mary's life and in her people's life. There's been a lot of pain, 
But Mary knows the word of God. And that's important when you're living in pain, when you're experiencing the pain in this life, you've got to know and have a deep understanding of the word of God, not some surface level understanding with a few verses or with some memes on social media that will not get you through the pain that you're going to experience in this life. You've got to have a deep understanding of God's word. And Mary, as a Jew, had a deep knowledge and understanding of God's word. She knew the promises of God. And so she begins to quote them. She says, God is my savior. God has done great things. He has shown us mercy. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has helped his servant. He's remembered to be merciful. He's made promises to our ancestors. And in spite of our pain, she says right now, he has come through. God has come through. He has fulfilled his promises. He has remembered his covenant. And she says, we don't deserve it. She says, you've shown us mercy, which means we didn't deserve it, but you kept your promises anyways. Mary knows that they don't deserve anything from God because of their sin, because of their idolatry. She knows that not only her, but because of her sin and and not only her people, but, but none of us deserve anything from God because of the sin that's in our life, because of the idolatry. God owes us nothing. And Mary realizes it. She says, you've been merciful to us in fulfilling your promises. You have been merciful. And here's what's interesting. Mary is saying all of this about God, that he's come through, that he's fulfilled his promise, that he's remembered his covenant with Abraham and with his children's children and their children's children. He's remembered his promise. He's come through. He's fulfilled it. And here's what's interesting. Nothing in Mary's life has changed. She didn't have more money than she used to. She doesn't really have more food than she used to. She doesn't have a bigger house. She doesn't have a better donkey. I mean, nothing has changed in her world. You would think if she's rejoicing in God, her savior, who has come through and who has fulfilled his promises, that would mean some sort of life altering circumstances happen. And now things are much better for her and things are much easier for her. And all of her prayers for all of her struggles have been answered, but that's not the case. Nothing in Mary's life circumstances changed. In fact, all of the painful things remain the same. You could even say after this song, when Mary is worshiping and glorifying God for fulfilling all these promises to her and to her people, you could even say things get worse for Mary. They get harder for Mary. They get more painful for Mary because she begins to deal with the scorn and the embarrassment of having this child out of wedlock. Everyone knows that her and Joseph were not married yet. And no one is believing what Joseph and Mary have to say about how she got pregnant. And so Mary is dealing with embarrassment and her pain actually grows. It gets worse. Next, imagine being the mother to the son of God. I mean, you think there's pressure raising your kids? Imagine being the mother to the son of God. The pressure that would come with that. The guilt that would come with that. That you were never enough. That you were never doing enough. You could say her pain intensified. 
Now imagine watching your 33-year-old son being beaten and whipped to death. Crying out and yelling in pain as he was tortured. As he had to carry a cross up a hill, as he was nailed to that cross, as they put nails in his hands and his feet. Imagine, she was there. She saw the whole thing. Can you even imagine the pain of watching your child go through that kind of intense torture and die on a cross? You see, I think you could say her pain got worse. Nothing in her life monetarily, nothing in her life physically, nothing in her life has changed. But she rejoices in God, her Savior. She praises in spite of the pain, and she knows, she realizes that her pain, both in the past in the present and even in the future, never voids the promise of God. She says, God has come through. He has fulfilled his promises. He has helped his servant. He's remembered to be merciful. He's made come, he's come through on his promises to his ancestors, to Abraham and to their children forever. She's saying our God has come through on his promises, but it hasn't really changed my pain at all. You see, the pain doesn't void the promise. And so the promise clearly is not based on circumstances or your circumstances changing. That's not what the promise is about. If it was, then, it, then clearly the, the pain would have voided the promise here. But Mary in her song understands that her pain has not voided the promise because the promise has nothing to do with the change in her physical circumstances. Third thing I think the Song of Mary teaches us is that the promise keeper deserves praise. The promise keeper deserves praise. We think that we are owed things from God. And we act like this all the time because oftentimes our praise is dependent on our pain. Oftentimes our praise is dependent on our circumstances. But the promise keeper deserves praise regardless. We think we're owed things from God. However, Mary, on the other hand, is overwhelmed by and surprised by God's grace. And she expresses her gratitude. She says, you have been merciful to us. You have given us what we did not deserve, what we are not owed. That's grace. And she says, you have been, you have remembered to be merciful to us. She knows God is showing her mercy. She's showing Israel mercy and they do not deserve for God to keep his promise to them. They have not earned it. They do not deserve it. But here's the great news about our God, the promise keeper. The promise keeper is faithful, is always faithful to promise breakers. The promise keeper is always faithful to promise breakers. God keeps his promise even when we break our promise because our God is faithful. And so even when we are faithless and even when we are unfaithful, God remains the same. He remains faithful. He remains a promise keeper to promise breakers. 
And here's what's wild about God. And here's what's incredible about Mary's song. Here's what Mary understands. And here's the source of Mary's gratitude. Here's Here's the source. Here's the why behind Mary's singing. Here's what she gets that we don't oftentimes understand. We are owed nothing, but we've been given everything. We are owed nothing from God, but we've been given everything by God. Mary understands that God is being merciful to her, that he owes her nothing, but you read her song and it's like she realizes and understands and believes that God has given her everything. You see, here's what Mary understands. Mary understands Ephesians chapter one, where Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and says, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. If you're a Christian, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. And that's what Mary understands. She owed, she's owed nothing, but she's been given everything. She's been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. And Paul continues to write in Ephesians, you have been adopted into the family of God by God's grace. You, you, you belong to God now. God is your father and you have a spiritual family. You have spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. You're, you, you've been adopted into the family of God. You were an orphan spiritually. But by God's grace and through your faith in Jesus, you are adopted into the family of God. Paul continues to write in Ephesians chapter one. And not only that, God has given you his spirit. He's placed his Holy Spirit inside of you. And that's what moves you to to sing even when you don't feel like it. And that's what moves you to to devour God's word. And that's what moves you to serve God and worship God and and give time and money away. That's what moves you to do those things. You, You didn't want to do those things before. Those things didn't excite you before. But God has placed his spirit inside of you. God is with you. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. And not only that, Because of your faith in Jesus, the resurrection and the life, even though you die one day, you will live. You will live forever in a new kingdom, a new earth with a new body. You will live forever with God. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. You are owed nothing by God, but you have been given everything. God has given you everything. God has given you the best. He's given you everything he has to give. It's every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. You are owed nothing, but you've been given everything. And this changes everything. When you realize this, like Mary did, that you are owed nothing, but you've been given everything, it changes everything. It changes the way you approach God. You notice the humble way she's coming before God saying, you've been merciful to me. I don't deserve any of these things, but you've heard me and you've been merciful to me. It changes everything about your approach. It changes everything about your faith. When you realize you've been owed nothing, but you've been given everything, it changes everything about, suddenly your faith isn't dependent upon your circumstances. It's not depending on your financial position or the the place you live. No, your faith, the source of your faith is found in knowing that you're just, you, you don't, God doesn't owe you anything. He's given me everything. So now your, your, your faith is stronger and, and your faith isn't thwarted by the wind and the waves of this life. It changes everything about your contentment. 
When, when you know that God gives you, d- d- owes you nothing, but you've been given everything, you, you're, you're content with every spiritual blessing that you have in Christ and you don't need anything. That's what Paul said. I don't, I don't need anything. I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret, Paul said, of being content in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or not. Paul said, I've learned how to be content. I've learned the secret. The secret is Mary's secret. It's knowing God owes you nothing, but he's given you everything. And when you realize God's given you everything and you have all you need in Christ, it changes everything about your contentment. It changes everything about your peace, your satisfaction, your fulfillment. It changes everything about your worship. When you realize God owes you nothing, but he's given you everything, you praise in spite of the pain. You can't, you can't help it because God has given you everything and you didn't deserve it. So here's my Christmas challenge for you. Here's my challenge for you this, this Christmas season. Even if worship, even if worship, what does that mean? It means even if your circumstances don't change, worship, because the promise keeper is deserving of your praise. Even if your financial position doesn't change, even if the place you live doesn't change, even if your pain doesn't change, even if it intensifies, worship God, because you are owed nothing, but you've been given everything. So even if worship, even if 2021 is worse than 2020, even if, Christian, we will worship God, even if 2021 is worse than 2020. And here's why, because we praise in spite of the pain because of the promise. We don't praise based on our pain or lack thereof. We praise because of the promise and the promise keeper who didn't owe us anything, but who has given us everything. You know, there's another song of Christmas. It's right after Mary's in Luke chapter one. It's Zachariah's song. Zachariah is the father to John the Baptist. And Zachariah learns that the Messiah is going to be born, that he's going to have a son named John the Baptist who's going to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus. Zachariah breaks out into song. And here's Zachariah's song. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. So so take notice of what the promise is and what the promise isn't. What's the promise here that Zechariah is singing about? What's the promise that Mary is singing about? What's this promise that everyone keeps singing about? What's the promise and what is it not? He sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant. The covenant he swore on oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies 
so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, talking now about John the Baptist, and you, my little son, you will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Zacharias is just as he promised. God has remembered his sacred covenant to send us a savior who would rescue us from our sin. And that's the promise. The promise isn't power. It's not position. It's not a place. And it's not presence. The promise is a person. And that's what you've got to understand. If you're going to praise in spite of the pain, you've got to understand what Mary understood, what Zechariah understood, and the reason they sang, and the reason they praised in spite of their pain. Because they knew the promise is a person. The promise is a prince. The promise is a prince of peace. The promise is a priest. Our forever priest, our forever high priest, who stands in the presence of God for us and makes a way for us to have a relationship with God. Paul said that that priest, that God man, Jesus, is our one mediator between us and God. There is no other mediator. There is no other way to God. The only way to God is through our one forever high priest who intercedes for us and who makes a way for us to have a relationship with God. The promise is a person. And so when this person is about to be born, Zachariah says, the morning light is about to break upon us. The morning light is here. The morning light is about to break upon us to those in darkness. He said, have you felt like you've been in darkness at all this year? Do you know anyone who's felt like they've been in darkness this past year? The morning light, Zachariah said, is about to break upon us. This person that's coming is a light and the light's gonna shine upon us. It's gonna shine on those who have been in darkness. Zachariah says the morning light is about to break upon us for those who are in the shadow of death. Death has cast a huge shadow this past year. And some of you have fallen in that shadow. You've been in the shadow of death. And Zachariah says, the morning light has come. And the morning light is about to break upon us for those who have been in the shadow of death. David wrote in Psalm 23 that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear for you are with me. You are the morning light that breaks upon me even in the shadow of death. Zachariah says this morning light is going to guide us to the path of peace. That if you've been in darkness, if you've been in the shadow of death, if you've experienced pain this year, the morning light is about to break upon us to guide us, to lead you to the path of peace. You see, this first coming of Jesus, the Messiah, points to the second coming. 
when the morning light from heaven will break upon us once again and take us to our forever peace in the kingdom of God. And that's our hope. The hope, our promise is still a person. That this person, this Prince of Peace, this high priest is going to return. And the morning light once again will break upon us. For those of us who are in darkness, who've been in the shadow of death, and that morning light will guide us to a forever peace in the kingdom of God. When John saw his vision in the book of Revelation of the things that are to come, he said, I, I looked up and I saw this rider on a white horse, this light that was beaming from this rider on a white horse and, and the heavens of army were, the, 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 the armies of heaven were following close behind. It was this brilliant light coming down from out of heaven. And then a little bit later when John sees the heaven opens up once again and he sees this new city, this bright shining city coming down out of heaven, down to earth. It's the new Jerusalem and it's coming down to a new earth. He sees this bright shining light opening heaven and this light shining forth. You see, one day the morning light is going to break upon us once again. And the Prince of Peace is going to guide us to a forever peace. And that's the promise that you and I hold on to. It's still the promise of a person. So I'd invite you to pray with me tonight that God would help us see the light and believe the promise. Would you pray with me? God, tonight, I pray that you'd help every last one of us to see the morning light that is about to break upon us. Would you help us to believe the promise that we might, like Mary, like Zechariah, praise you even in our pain. We thank you, God, that you are a promise keeper and that you are faithful to promise breakers. God, we thank you that even though we are owed nothing by your grace and because of your mercy, you have given us everything we need in Christ. And so God, I pray that tonight, that this next year, we would worship. Even if things don't go our way, even if things don't happen when we think they should happen, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we would say, we believe, God, that you can rescue us. God, that you can change our circumstances. You, you can, and you do sometimes. But even if you don't, our hope is in the promise of a person. And so, God, I pray that you would strengthen that faith and that hope in the person of Jesus Christ tonight. Would you strengthen our faith that we might praise even in our pain? And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.